Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we're going to be discussing Season 9, Episode 11, called Golden Oldies, which had an original air date of January 2nd, 1988. It's the new year. Happy New Year, Matthew. Happy New Year, David. I've decided that this, since it's the nude year, we should begin by getting nude. Okay. No, I said, I said new year. You can stop. No, no, you can stop. I was hoping for the nude year. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have to wish a happy new or nude year to our very special distinguished guest, Mr. Ken Reed. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, uh, I every new year I'm nude at some point. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I like I like to celebrate privately. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dick Clark's rocking nude year. <laughs> not a thing I want to see. <laughs> oh, you call your Dick Clark also like I do. Yep. yep. It also had a stroke. Subvoigan. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's and, comedy. And had an awkward interaction with Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the sharp rapier-like wit that you get on the excellent podcast, TV Guidance Counselor. <laughs> I, I feel like I didn't sufficiently plug you last week, Ken, so Sorry. allow me to plug you a little extra more hardly this week. Plug away. Mm -hmm. TV Guidance Counselor, if you enjoy this show, you will enjoy Ken's show. Every week, he does. Well, why am I telling him? You tell him. What am I, your fucking mother? Tell him about your show, <laughs> Ken. Every week. Uh, someone picks a TV guide and they pick what they'd watch that week and then we talk about it. That's it. That's it. Uh-huh. And it's it's genius. It's a genius way. Uh, what is the wonderful heady way you describe it? The gateway to our collective... Collective past. You do that? Or, as a, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. You but use the TV guides. And uh, we were talking earlier off mic about how your guests always end the show saying, this was so much fun. Oh my God, I forgot. And I I am lucky to say I've been a guest. And it, same thing. We we get yes. talking about and release so many uh, memories of things we'd never would have thought about. Yeah, all I can offer people who guest is I'm like, you might have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-COVID, I'd also buy you lunch. But now it's like, maybe you'll have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would do that too. I would, or I'd give people baked goods, but now it's like, hey, you're in your own home. You don't even have to leave your house. So yeah. sorry, it's, you know, tit for tat. Anyway, this episode that we're about to discuss, it's really the last of the great wackadoodle Facts of Life episodes, is it not? Yeah, no, it really is. But also feels like an afterthought. Like this feels like a, oh shit, we didn't have an episode. We're shooting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's um, not funny that you say that, Ken, because I felt like this was a lot for very little payoff. I feel like it was oh, it was a pudding that was over egged. <laughs> uh, yes. It was way too yes. much. It was a very, very thin premise, very last minute that they tried to make up for by 
apparently hiring 700 Catskills vaudeville comedians to come punch this up in a marathon all-nighter. Yeah, it's it's, uh, pretty crazy, pretty cray-cray. And uh, before we even get started, uh, after this recording session at a later date, Matthew and I are going to be speaking to Diana Eden, the costume designer, who has already told us there are stories and interesting things. So uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, As a little preface to uh, the nuts and bolts here, this is the third year that The Facts of Life has shared Saturday nights on NBC with The Golden Girls. The first season of The Golden Girls was the first year that Facts of Life moved to Saturday in the 8.30 time slot. They were very, very lucky that they got in on the ground floor of the Golden Girls uh, elevator and were able to ride that and keep building their audiences after moving away from their comfortable Wednesday night slot. So uh, yeah, so first season it was 8.30 right before Golden Girls and then last season in this current season there in the eight o'clock time zone followed by 227, Golden Girls and then Amen, the Sherman Hemsley. Such a weird night of television. Like none of those shows really should have any crossover in audience. <laughs> it is weird. At the very least, when Gimme a Break was still on before Amen came into the mix, it was all female driven comedy. Right. They could at least say the the ladies of laughs. They, right. they definitely played that up a little bit because uh, God knows women aren't funny. This was. No, they need those writers. Four anomalies here. Yeah. You need Dolph Sweet propping you up. <laughs> When you think comedy, John Hoyt. Yep. <laughs> what the fuck was that? All right. So some nuts and bolts before we get talking about the show, because there is so much to talk about. It was written by John Boney, B-O-N-I. This is the final of three episodes that he will write for the series. Last season, season eight, he wrote episode 17, Cupid's Revenge. That's where they brought back the ex-boyfriends for Valentine's Day including Roy and Cliff. And that's what reintroduced us to Jeff that would eventually lead to Tootie's engagement. And it was also the episode where they really kind of dug in that Natalie and Snake were kind of a thing. And uh, so it was a little bit of an important episode. But Mr. Boney also wrote another episode, season eight, episode 12, called Seven Little Indians. Yes, much better episode that I feel like he's trying to recapture the magic here. Oh my God, that was an episode we had you here for, Ken, because you are just so great at analyzing the wackadoodle episodes with us. Well, I'm a John Bonamaniac. <laughs> You've Ooh, got a boner sense. for Boney, don't you? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And the episode was directed by John Boab, their regular in-house director. Two Johns, Bonnie and Boab. Boney the, and the- Boab. <laughs> the John Bowes of, of Bonnie and Boab. <laughs> there's there's the backdoor pilot that it should have been. Yeah. So Ken, this is the time in the show every week. You are very familiar with it. This is where we ask our guests to please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the show, similar to a listing you might find in one of those there TV guides that you have. The girls fantasize about old age. Ding, ding. There it is. That's all you need. That's all it has to be. That's Mm -hmm. all there is. (laughs) True. There's not much more going on, really. So um, we didn't mention this last week, 
but uh, I do want to bring up first things first. Everyone is just sitting around the living room at the very beginning, just sitting yeah. around bullshitting and nobody is minding the store. We still have not seen over our heads this season, Ken. We're 11 episodes in. It's a shame. Uh, it's true. But we haven't Seth's seen it. sitting there. They didn't dismantle it. Well, nope. uh, but did they? Because when Beverly Ann enters from over our heads, it's a blue background behind her. That's true. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and maybe they, maybe they, I can't imagine somebody thought, wait a second, guys. <laughs> if this is so far in the future, they're not going to have over our heads. I uh, put a blue backdrop behind It's going to be an online store. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that much thought was put into it. But when she opens the door, she's got a blue background. That's it. Yeah. Like you don't even see like another room. <laughs> And we're pretty sure that that set is still in storage because they had to haul out the kitchen set. Kitchen set only appeared at the beginning of this season, Ken. We had we did not see the kitchen until season nine. I'm That's sorry, weird because it's a different it's a different kitchen. Yeah, post fire. Post I should Edna. say. Yeah, post Edna's um, edibles kitchen. I have yeah. just looked. I have just looked, and overourheads.com is for sale for two thousand four hundred and ninety-five dollars. So <gasps> somebody has parked on overourheads.com uh and if you know we wanted it to sell fish pens wow if we wanted to sell bongs and uh, flavored lube and edible panties dick pasta <laughs> i used to that's a character i pitched to disney streetmosphere dick pasta dick pasta no they they did not buy it I yeah. don't know why they didn't call me back mamma that. mia that's a spicy balls <laughs> Well, anyway, so we just have to say this is our ongoing saga where as far as I think, I don't think we see over our heads until the episode that they close over our heads, which is fast approaching. I think it's coming up in a couple of weeks at this point. You, you guess you guess that every week, David, we will sit back and find out. Yeah, we will sit back and we will find out. OK, together. What a tragedy. Because what else does Ken have to model yes. his life and his office after if he doesn't have over our heads? I know. And I didn't even get to go to the clearance sale. Mm, so sad. I'd drive to peak skill for that. Yeah. Uh, oh, who wouldn't? Anyway, um, as the girls are sitting around, Beverly Ann is doing needlepoint. Tootie is rehearsing a Shakespearean monologue uh, from the Merchant of Venice. Of course. That's what I'd cast her in. Yeah. I did worry that it was a Shylock monologue. You know, like we know that she played the captain in The Sound of Music. We know that. Ah, uh, thought you were going to say Othello. <laughs> Miko played King Lear, I think. At one point, there was a, a little side joke back in back at Eastland. So, you know, bizarre casting. Tootie playing Nellie Forbush. There's, there's some uh, interesting casting. So I worried that it was like, oh, please don't let this be a Shylock thing. But Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> Anybody? Have noticed? Actually, here's I've noticed that in this season specifically, Joan of Arc, <laughs> all the girls dress like first ladies. Oh, oh my god, they are ready to go to work at Vogue in New York on a Monday morning. Yep, put mm-hmm. uh, put them in some sneakers in those outfits, and like, they are every woman walking down Madison Avenue. Yeah, fucking... eating a Nutrigrain bar, like yeah. casual casual skirt suit just hanging around yeah it, it's true i mean they I look great 
does Tootie have a hat on? Kim Fields is not wearing a hat on okay. uh, on her hair. She only later when we get into the, the flash forward, as it were. Could we please discuss Lisa Welchel's side ponytail? How dare I love you? It. I love it. It's a bold choice. Uh, Age inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. That's my thing. I'm like, if you were 12, maybe a side ponytail, but yeah. you're, you're 21 now, Blair Warner. Here's my okay. theory. Side okay. ponytail theory. Okay. So that later in the episode, the contrast between her now and the old her is, is more pronounced. That's the theory. Huh? Okay. She's actually 23. I was wrong about the age. A 23-year-old, even in 1988. Uh, hmm, I'm I'm not sure. I, I do not think I can support that. I can't sign off on it. You like it, I've Matthew? It done. I, oh, here's the thing. No. Here's the thing. <laughs> no. Here's the thing. And I'm gonna I'm trying to think of another another hairstyle that I can say this about that will make sense. First of all, um, um, Cindy Lauper had a side pony. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, but she's so unusual. And also, um, oh, what's a pussy? Um, Stacy Q. <laughs> how dare you? Cinnamon. Yeah. Um, fuck, I can't think of her name. Uh, but Blair's side pony is, I think, in 1987. I think the way it's styled, it's what you would call like a fashion side pony, like a high end side. You know what I yeah, mean? It's a Vogue side pony. This is like a like a princess die side pony. Yeah. Does that make sense? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, well, of course, Lisa Welchel elevates anything and everything that she wears. That I that is absolutely an empirical fact that cannot be negated or argued. That that stands. But. I, I'm not going to say I didn't see it and go, holy, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. All oh, right. We're, we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Okay. We're all, we're all, okay. We're all talking. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just to kind of give a, a little bit a deeper detailed setup here, uh, Blair is doing her nails. Joe's doing some sort of paperwork at the desk. Uh, Tootie is rehearsing her monologue for Merchant of Venice. It's a, it's a Porsche monologue, by the way. Act four, scene one. And the sort of catalyst, as it were, is Natalie mentions she's mailing a contribution to her retirement fund. At which point they're like, you're thinking ahead about your retirement. Oh, my God, that's weird. And uh, at which point Beverly Ann says, don't you ever wonder what you'll all be doing in your golden years? Then David Bowie busts through the doors. Yeah. <laughs> that was a full-on musical number. But it's just like, okay, we're being very, very, very clear that we're drawing yeah. a parallel to the Golden Girls. But that's it. That's like, like this is like some, no one's ever seen the show, The Golden Girls. They're just like old ladies. Yeah. That's what the kids are watching. Yeah. Old ladies. Yeah. And, and I mean, they could have done a more direct reference in more specific references within the characters and all that but I mean, clearly the writers are not up to the golden girls standard of writer but um cut from syndication is them pondering 
this question that Beverly Ann poses. It doesn't make it into the version on Daily Motion, sadly. But Tootie says she imagines she'll be finishing her tour as the Grand Dame of the American Theater. Blair and Matthew will be walking directly into the ocean. Yeah, and yeah, Matthew will be shooting himself in the face. Uh, Blair imagines she will live in Switzerland. Well, you should certainly live in it if you own it. Ha <laughs> ha! She's a fascist dictator. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie figures she'll be in Hollywood working on her latest screenplay. She's um, never expressed a desire to write screenplays before. Thank this. you. Thank you. I'm the same way. I'm like, wait a minute. She's been a journalist. She's been an expository yeah. writer. She's written the odd play or monologue for Tootie. Uh, terrible from what we've gathered. Yeah. Is she trying to do like a serpent in the rainbow thing? Like she's going to go do some sort of uh, documentary book about zombies in Haiti that then gets made into a fiction film by Wes Craven. I, I, I can't even, I just, I'm like, pick a lane, Natalie. I thought I, because I liked how they spoiler alert, they make her an earth mother kind of character, just like they did for the year where they go to the year 2000. Yes. Yes. And with her, with her, side pony um it's a braid how dare you but she comes in with that i wanted her to say with that look i wanted her to be like um i'm i'm the editor of national geographic yeah yeah or something i just or she never says what she does does she no No. she's she's no we never find that out i mean they they, this is supposed to be the foreshadowing section and (laughs) it is clearly extractable uh So then, you know, and Joe, Joe's final. What do you think you'll be doing, Joe? Living as far away from Switzerland as possible. Hey, set it up. Knock it down. Yep. <laughs> because Joe hates Blair. She's such a fucking bitch. Not yeah. like we're friends or anything. Ugh. I've known you for 10 years and we sleep beside each other, but I'd like to murder you. Yeah, it's. Ugh. But. Then when we come back from this little clip that is uh, taken out of the rerun version, it's Tootie's line. Wouldn't it be funny if we all still lived here together in this house? And I added, ignoring the store that we all allegedly own. Yes, yes. And Beverly Ann says, stranger things have happened. Who knows what the future has in store for any of us? (laughs) I smell a flash forward. And we go to a close-up of the needlepoint, which says there's no place like home. And then we flash forward to uh, the same design. But now it says years later. Is that what it says? Yeah, years later. Years later. Let's talk about this music, shall we? The transitional music that gets us into the flash forward, where we're going to meet the elderly versions of all of our friends here. Uh. Credited as Ray Colcord. Ray Colcord knows what he's doing. Certainly a talented composer. I found the music choice of using a string quartet to be very, very odd. It's extremely strange. You would think it would have sort of twinkly kind of, you know, the the fantasy music. Like the... Yeah. Even... Like, you know, their regular classic. Mm -hmm. Not the string quartet. Well, I went back and I pulled up the Golden Girls theme because I was like, when I think of the Golden Girls theme, I think of that bass line. There's strings. There's strings. But they come in very late. It is the bass, the drums, and piano that mostly dominate the opening theme. The strings come in later. In the end theme, 
you have strings, xylophone, and some woodwind instruments like a, an oboe or a clarinet or something. All of those are playing the melody instead of the vocal. So, but I'm just like, as far as hearing the Golden Girls theme and thinking, well, obviously string quartet is what would be the perfect yeah. thing to mimic that. Um, that would be a no for me. Yeah. Old ladies love string instruments. Because <laughs> they were born in the 1700s. That's right. That's right. In the time of Mozart. What did you think of the music, Matthew? You're being very quiet up well, there. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Um, the... I, I I didn't notice it for the rest of the the show, but I was like already annoyed when there was like the doom 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 as Tootie was coming down the steps. It's Mickey Mouse in it. Mickey Mouse in. Yep. And I I was like, ugh, I'm already annoyed with that. But the thing is, David, the incidental music on the Golden Girls is very different than the well, not very different, but. Oh, it is stringier. The, you are totally right. It, it's it's stringier, but it's not staccato stringier. It's yeah. like da, 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 it's sweeping. Da, 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 da. Yeah. It's sweeping. It's and almost I, soap opera-ish. Yeah. And I wanted I wanted that more. Yeah. And it's full. It's, it's a full orchestra, a string quartet. You literally can hear each instrument. They're very raw and exposed. And it it's a very specific sound that this it is does. Not a budget. This is on a budget. Right. And, and that's the thing. I get it. They're on a budget yeah. and it's one show. It's not going to be incidental yeah. music they're going to use for seven years. Yeah. But you consider, I think Cold Cord probably didn't have to actually actively work on a lot of these shows because the, the incidental and the transitional music has been the same. Like it's just regurgitated. They're yeah, crediting him that he, he wrote it. He probably had cues from something else you know like yeah. he was just we needed to uh, yeah whatever here's the tape you know yeah exactly so this is one of those times kind of like the seven little indians where it's like oh no we need you to actually write music tailored to this episode do your job man yeah <laughs> do your job so uh yeah anyhow the string quartet thing did not work for me in general and it certainly i don't think bought them anything to make us think, oh, they're doing a Golden Girls. Yeah. Oh, I does see. Does not set the tone. It correct does not. So I'm sorry, Mr. Colcord. Um, I know I'm the person you need advice from to improve your career and your art form. Uh, I say it with love. So I wish they said how far into the future this was. It is I'm so guessing forty years. So if they're retirement age and they're like early twenties on the show. Mm -hmm. we're talking 2027 does that sound right well blair blair and joe are the oldest and they're both 23 so we're probably more like 2030 yeah if they're like 65 right if they're like 65 years old so so we're seeing them they're they're essentially 40 a little over 40 years older than they are now because beverly ann's like how old is she supposed to be in the show in her 50s so she's like 90 uh, <laughs> Cloris Leachman is 61. So Beverly Ann's a hundred and yeah. I believe it. That I believe it. Works. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk. I let, please let's not talk about Cloris Leachman. I want to save, I want to talk sure. about her in depth a little bit later. Sure. Uh, I want to give her her due and uh, yeah. So we see the house. It's got more Afghans, more blankets and pillows around. It's just kind of, you know, old, 
more old lady e i don't even think they changed the, the pictures on the wall did they no they didn't dress this very much at all this no. again has the feeling of oh shit do we getting afghans or something we throw in here yeah like it's not it's not a full design you know no they changed the pictures on i think they changed the pictures on top of the um piano piano and along the wall mm-hmm. on the thing but yeah yeah here's an here's an afghan for the couch for christ's sake yeah it was yeah very it looked very slapdash uh so then it sort of the joke becomes we meet each of the older versions of the girls starting with joe <laughs> joe is wearing a floral house dress with the slip <laughs> showing underneath uh, she's got a sweater and a scarf. She's carrying a purse. That's a Golden Girls reference because Sophia never was without her purse. Though Joe is clearly not playing the Sophia in the show. She's clearly no. the Dorothy. Sort of. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as the cranky one, the one yeah. being the most insulting. But and- Joe is the most naturalistic of these performances. Like she's playing an older version of her character. Yeah. We have said the He's other girls the only one who yep. doesn't completely change personality yep. somehow. Yep. By yeah. the time they get to 2027. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, because with that, uh, we have Tootie come in. Tootie is wearing this gorgeous costume, this gray gown yeah. with gray gloves, marabou around the sleeves, wide brimmed hat, pink flowers, a pink scarf, longer she's, flattering she's wig. Being Cicely Tyson. She she is. Um, but maybe not quite at that level of performance. No, but she's clearly doing like a Cicely Tyson impression. She's like, who's an older actress that I can be? Cicely yeah. Tyson. <laughs> but I don't recall Cicely Tyson gesticulating her arms on every single line of dialogue. Well, she's a good actress. Yeah, I found I found this performance the most difficult to watch and the most upsetting that... Really? Someone couldn't have pulled in the reins a little bit on that? Term broad comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, broad. I think to call this this performance broad would be an insult to the word broad. Like, oh, I've I'll save it for the for the for the spin-off talk later. Yeah. But you could have a show about four old ladies who were bad broad actors who live together and call it broads. <laughs> oh, hey. Damn. Maybe maybe we need to do the drag version of that, Matthew. Years about, down the road, of course. How about three fat girls and we'll call it babes. Babes. <laughs> we, we got the title and we're shitting on the people of this show. Wendy Jo Sperber. God rest her soul. She's a talented comedian. Why don't we call oh. it pretty women or hot chicks? <laughs> <laughs> but Tootie's costume is gorgeous. Oh, and, yeah, and it's old the later Hollywood. one. This is honestly my my favorite as far as that, as far as Grand Dame nailed it. I cannot yeah. wait to to talk to Diana about that. But oh, the gesticulating, the and the fact that she's suddenly yes. every line she's In talking the theater. like this, the theater, yeah. this this awful thing of writers and directors on television clearly don't know any theater actors and don't understand that we don't talk like that or or haven't uh encountered any theater actors since the 1930s yeah exactly (laughs) while i thought she was broad i am going to give her this compliment she was more masculine than paul winfield in 227 (laughs) that is true that is true 
But it but, was. I felt but, like but she not faced as wonderful gowns. No. Yeah. But I felt like give her an ascot, and I would have been confused. Yes. <laughs> If you're wondering about the Paul Winfield talk, well, that would be something you can learn in the Patreon show in TV Talkaholics. Alpha males, you cigarette holders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the shit is that? <laughs> yeah. What is that? Unless, unless your name's the Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then Blair comes in, and I'm sorry, this is the best win for me, costuming wise. I think this is the costume that mostly nails uh, the comedic, satirical, the 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 what do I say? The, the slightly exaggerated over the topness of what this episode is trying to do. Joe, it's just it's just everyday old lady clothes, you know. Blair is wearing. They've got her in this poofy silver wig, and they have her padded to look thicker, kind of like like a mama's family thing. She's being Vicki Lawrence and mama's family. A hundred percent. Like her, like, Oh, when you get older, your Southern accent gets more broad. Oh, I didn't know that. That's is that a thing that happens. Yeah. The Southern accent that you never had. Cause you were yeah. raised in New York. Yeah. But she, and I mean, it's like, Oh, I wouldn't go to find. She yeah. keeps saying I'm man. She My said, son, Bubba. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, okay, well, Blair has become a Southern woman suddenly. Yeah. That's so weird. And I mean, we have a lot of um in these episodes, and I haven't I haven't brought it up again, trying to trying to edit down my 50 kabillion uh ob- observations. Uh there's been a lot of Lisa Welchel lately uh revealing her southernness of her saying texas um and so why why did you say that in just that slightly broader it's like oh bring that in girl you're better than that so uh but this was her chance and we know lisa welchel loved doing these episodes and she is so good at it and I love the jewelry, particularly the big, thick bracelets and the rings on her hand. They made her hands look old. See, I think she should have gone more Dolly and less Mama. Yeah. Oh God, like, that would have been great. See, she kind of almost goes gets into like Pearl Bailey territory. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> mini Pearl, mini Pearl, mini Pearl. Yeah, mini Pearl. Pearl. Bailey. Yeah, well, inter- interchangeable. Well, yeah, let's true. be honest. Truly, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that is very weird. And so no sooner are we scratching our heads over this suddenly extremely uh, eccentric Southern elderly version of Blair Warner when- Spit it out, Beverly Ann. Jesus Jesus Christ, spit it out, Beverly Ann. (laughs) Not only are we scratching our heads. (laughs) How dare you. He gives me shit because I talk floridly and we realize it's the way Beverly Ann over. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, he's giving you the but stickle. I'm not pointing out the obvious. I mean, Blanche is Southern. Yeah. Yeah, so, of course. And okay. Blair is talking about men in the fact that she is the, the desirable one. But she's as not it were. Tennessee Williams in it, which you would think she's no. gone like. It's an, again, this is He's like people, Harper. Yeah, this is like people who've somebody's told them about Golden Girls and that person themselves had never seen it, but someone else had told them. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, it's it's a game of telephone. So ding dong, before we get to Beverly Ann, at the door is Natalie, 
where Natalie has suddenly become an old Jewish yenta, that's a little bit easier to buy. She's just a lot sassier, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, that I could kind of see more than Blair becoming a Southerner. But here's here's a complaint I have about this season overall, and specifically this episode, is that the writers are not tailoring the jokes to the characters. They're writing jokes that any of them could say and they would work. So I feel like the actors are overdoing it to deliver the lines as their character because they're such generic jokes. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you there. The fact that Natalie's tits entered the scene 10 minutes before she does. What is that? Yeah. It's one thing to pad the bosom. And of course, Blair has got bigger boobs and they're a little lower in position, but it's got literally that. like they put two balloons. Like when, when you put yeah. two balloons in your t-shirt, they're so I, high. I, they are. So they're higher than Mindy Cohn's current chest in her 21 yeah. year old version. It's like, what is happening? She had some work done. Yeah, clearly. It but, would have been so much funnier if they're going to go that big for them to be down there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Floppies. (laughs) Speaking of National Geographic. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Racist callback. But yes, thank you. Yeah. But we do love your first porn as well. No, no, that was not. No, never, never did it for you. Nope. No, but we do love and I cannot wait to ask Diana about this was the costuming of Natalie informed by the previous time we saw an older version of Natalie, season five, episode 20, Dream Marriage, where there were no prints. It was all solids and lighter colors, uh, but it was the same hair, the braid down the side, sandals, earth tones, draping clothes. She looked like she had just arrived from Tatooine. Yeah, In or she show. had she had just finished um, pledging money to NPR. Yeah. <laughs> and at that time, she wasn't living locally. This one, she says she's local and her daughter kicked her out. But at that time, she was living in, was it Phoenix? That sort of hippie, out in the desert, unplugged lifestyle. Like, she was kind of that earth mother sort of a thing. Now with this, we're getting a, a Jewish yenta, adding Altakaka in there. Yeah, we're getting tote bag green right here. <laughs> tote bag? I don't know what that means. You know, like the old ladies, they get those canvas tote bags for giving to like PBS or whatever. It's oh, just like that kind of. There we go. Okay. Tote bag green. <laughs> tote bag green. But she comes in and she's like, my daughter's husband convinced me to kick her out. I shouldn't have named her Tootie. And That's she's she's really overplaying this, like she's deliberately overdoing all this stuff. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's as effective as natural Mindy Cohn, who it, it just comes so naturally to her and it's yeah. beautiful. It's like, you, why are you being Jackie Mason? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's it's a perfect example of, oh, you're now you're pushing it and it's not as funny as when you just did it. It's It also makes the really hacky, old borscht belt vaudeville jokes Mm -hmm. way worse like not work at all yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah at one point natalie at one point blair talking about her money situation she walks over to natalie who is sitting and she says i'm flat busted come on 
And her result is, uh, well, I mean, they've looked better, but I wouldn't say they're flat. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. It's like a total pockets. Who's got pockets? Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, so, yeah, we've we've covered the girls and their looks and what they've got. But before they answer the door for Natalie is when we meet Beverly Ann and Cloris Leachman playing the elderly Beverly Ann is a masterclass in comedy, in broadness, but with subtlety, in uh, magnifying something, yet still being grounded. This, If there is ever an episode that showcases the genius of Cloris Leachman, I'm not being facetious. I'm like, she should have won a fucking Emmy for this episode. She's basically Mr. Magoo in this episode. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And and preparing to play Granny in the Beverly Hillbillies movie. Yes. Five years by later. Spheris. Oh, whom you've had on the show. Indeed. Yes, friend of the pod, as they yes. say. Matthew, what what is your thoughts? No, I, I, everything everything you said. I'm not going to beat that dead horse. She's oh. just brilliant. But th- she does that old lady thing of, well, I got to answer the phone. And you're just going to hum. I'm hanging up. Yeah. If you're just going to hum. I'm hanging up when she's been sitting on the phone thinking that the doorbell ringing was the phone. That was one of the biggest laughs of the entire episode. Mm-hmm. It, it was the only not kind of like hacky cliche joke in the episode. It's true. To be, to be frank. Well, because it was almost a little, because again, it was kind of based in reality, but it was yeah. also ridiculous. It's like, I could get why an old person would think that they're just it's a Mr. Of, Magoo joke. Yeah, you're true. It's so they true. I never thought of that. But, you know, that's perfect. But they've got her in sort of typical old lady garb. And I believe Diana Eden designed this outfit for her. I believe Diana shared the actual designer sketch in her book. So uh, I look forward to learning more about that being built. Uh, Cloris is wearing a wig with a top bun, like a Cats and Jammer kids bun on the top of her head and the hairpins and the glasses. They've got her made up. The girls are all clearly wearing prosthetics, mostly bags under the eyes is what to me sticks out. I don't think Cloris is wearing anything prosthetic. They did it all with with shadowing and contouring. Yeah, they've basically dressed her up like the woman who owns Tweety in the Looney Tunes cartoons. Granny! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's so true. So true. But she just, I mean, if you're you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched the episode, I get that you don't watch all of them. This one, you just got to watch it to believe that it happened and that they did it. And to see Cloris Leachman doing everything right, even though she is surrounded by hacky jokes and uneven supporting performances i just i could not get enough even though it's a one joke character i could not get enough she sells it a little goes a long way and she she goes a long way in this one damn they don't overuse her either um which i was surprised by true yeah so the scene ends with they talk about something about the house Uh, natalie asks if she can live at the house because her daughter's kicked her out and Beverly Ann says, the house, the house. I'm supposed to remember something about the house. And one of them says, oh, you've been saying that for a year now. 
on to the next scene. We're in the kitchen. What are they eating? Well, she offers cheesecake, but they already have some. Yeah. And you'll notice um, Cloris Leachman um, takes a stage bite. Oh, does she? Oh, I didn't see just, that. Yeah. Will you just, kiss it? Yeah. Just B. Arthur did. Just was exactly what B. Arthur did every time they had cheesecake because she hated cheesecake. Yeah. Who hates cheesecake? I know. B. Who Arthur. Hurt you? <laughs> Who hurt you? Maybe no bake. All right. I'll give you that. Some yeah. no bake cheesecake. Eh. Yeah, no, no, no. Cheesecake. Mm. No, a good, a good New York style, like, that, an actual baked one, a little cakey, not yeah. too creamy. That's what a cheesecake ought to be. So I honestly have one more note because I just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, show, this episode was so fucking B-A-N-A-N-A-S bananas. Yeah. I, I gave not up good taking bananas. notes. Here's another one. When they're eating the cheesecake in the kitchen, uh, Blair says, the manager down at the bank says that I have the body of a 40-year-old woman. And what does Natalie say? Well, give it back because you're getting it all wrinkled. Ha ha! Yeah, yeah, it's... That's an oldie but moldy, kids. It's a groaner. It's a groaner. That's Benny Hill did that many times on his show in the 60s. We also have this running thing of, with Blair being a little fuller figured, we also have this running joke of her sneaking food. She has a banana down her cleavage. Yeah. Giggity. And uh, she, at this, we see her sneaking the cheesecake, the whole cheesecake under the table. Later, she pulls a hot dog out from under the piano lid that were the keys. And uh, it's like, okay. And again, that, that was not a thing in the writing about talking about her weight or her eating habits. It was just no. a thing. Just some business for some gags, extra gags in there. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like they got outside people to just come in and punch up. It didn't matter. They're just like, what'd be funny? She pulls out a hot dog. I don't know. Yeah. Next. Okay, hey, moving on. Like, hey, they're dressed like old matter. ladies. It's funny. Whatever yeah, they do, it's yeah, funny. They're old yeah, ladies. Yeah. Kids yeah. will get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so And where's Pippa? Where the hell's Pippa? I wondered that too, but probably for the better. <clears throat> I want to see 50-something Pippa. <laughs> I want to see 50 some Pippa right now. Yeah, true. I mean, you saw, did you see on her Instagram? She, yeah. uh, she, she sang, look at me. I'm Sandra D when, when Olivia Newton John died, she's yeah. just standing in her kitchen saying it. It was like, Olivia so Newton John, someone I talked to about doing the show. <gasps> oh, tragedy. Talked to her on the phone before. She's very, very nice. Oh, oh, that's so sad. She didn't get to do it. Jane Seymour introduced me to her. <laughs> Oh, like they were best friends. Well, here, let me help you pick up that name you just dropped. <laughs> Watch your feet. <laughs> I would do it too. I got nothing else. I don't leave my house. Only other thing of interest in this kitchen scene is that they talk about Joe's kids, Betty Lou and Junior, and her ex-husband Harold, who mm -hmm. we know ran off with a younger woman. Well, this is another allusion to Dorothy, to the B. Arthur character on Golden Girls. And, uh, and then one of the most interesting prophetic things. Tootie says, thank God my husband never left me by running off with another woman. Jeff did the right thing and died. What a way to find out Jeff died. But we know that in the reunion movie, He's died. He he yeah. dead. Like yeah. holy shit. They so this episode's that. canon. <laughs> it is absolutely it's canon. Yeah. Now the picture when um 
she's uh, her daughter is I think Keisha is her daughter's name. When she holds up a picture of Keisha and her father, it's not um, Todd Hollowell. It's a completely different actor there. I wonder if it's not Keisha's actual dad. Like, just use this baby picture for crying well, out loud. Maybe Todd Holloway's character got into a, a horrific accident and had facial reconstructive surgery. Just like Blair died. did. Yes. Just, just like hideous. Blair does later in the episode when yeah. she loses her beauty via a scar on her forehead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Blair mentions that she's been divorced seven times. That's about it. And again, it's just like, okay. <laughs> uh... It's Spencer Gifts level cards <laughs> is the level of jokes here. Yeah, that's so true. Dads like farts and moms drink wine. Like it's that kind of yeah. depth. Nope, you're totally right. That is such a perfect description of a Spencer Gifts. <laughs> Dads <laughs> like farts and moms drink wine. <laughs> oh my God. It's also, I mean, it's also basically Target. But... Yeah, now. Oh, yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. that made me laugh. Oh, How many things can we write wine o'clock on? Ugh. Mm. Oh. Whoa. Don't get Matthew started on the wine culture, the the white lady wine culture. He will be here. Be able to get through this without wine. <clears throat> yeah. So then, ding dong at the door. Andy is there, fifty year old Andy or fifty ish. Well, I guess yeah, he'd be in his fifties yeah. now, like forty years later. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be like my age, and that's exactly what I look like. Uh, he is the mayor of Peekskill now. Uh, I cannot wait to find out why the choice was made to pad him and make him thicker. But because it makes him look older because he's short. So yeah, they couldn't. Yeah, it actually did kind of work. And, yeah. you know, they slicked his hair back. They gave him a, a little blonde mustache, a little graying there. But with a cost- bad joke to Natalie. Which is why did you get a must? She's like, she's like, when did you get a mustache, Andy? And he's like, oh, a few years ago. When did you grow yours? You know, <laughs> There you go. He looks like the mayor of Munchkinland from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> he does because I mean he's dressed beautifully. This is another Diana Eden. Brava! She has him in a suit with a vest and uh, a tie clip, mm-hmm. uh, and very you can tell a flashy little ring. Uh, he's got a pocket watch with a chain. So it, it, to, as far as the costuming dictating, oh, we can see he's well off. It was really well done, but yeah, that's the mayor. He just needed like a little bowler hat or a top hat. Yeah. And he looked like the, or or the Monopoly guy, maybe. A little bit. Yeah. But the news he brings is that he's like, well, I came here because I figured I'd help out. And they're like, help out. Why? Because the house is being torn down tomorrow. And Beverly Ann's like, that's it. The house is being torn down. That's what I forgot. Cut to commercial. Ha ha. So. We go to another scene later packing. There's a costume change. They all have different costumes on. Um, Similar, you know, similar new uh, variations on a theme, but well done. Blair is in a black dress with tan lace at the cuffs and collar. Joe has got an amazing polyester print pantsuit. I have to know if that's vintage or if that was built for the show. I suspect it's vintage. We'll see if I'm right. Looks like it's right out of the costume department from a 70s show. Yeah. And yeah. maybe mod. But perhaps. Uh, Beverly Ann is in a different dress, but now has a pillbox hat because she needed to look older. And well, they have them dressed slightly funeral ish. 
Yeah, like yeah, a colorful colors. Yeah, yeah, like their morning. Yeah. So Natalie is in a different loose flowing thing. Tootie makes an entrance on the top balcony in this leopard print dress with a Nefertiti hat, sunglasses, just stunning. Yeah, like and, a Grace Jones kind of thing going on. Oh, yes. There it is. Damn. Spot on. Except not mucked up with all that talent. No, yeah. no. <laughs> But anyhow, so as they're preparing to leave, ding dong, at the door is Joe's ex-husband, Harold. Harold is played by Bill Macy. That's right. What a surprise to see him just suddenly walk into our TV show. The reason William H. Macy has the H in his name. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Bill Macy has 85 credits in a 44-year career. He played the same guy in every yep. single one of them. No range, but a great nope. job at it. Perfection. Absolutely. He had his lane. It was narrow, and he did it expertly. Whether he was Walter on Maud, B. Arthur's husband, whether he was the guy that funded the OptiGrab in The Jerk, whether he was the 50-year-old naked dude in the original Broadway cast of O Calcutta, that's out there. That's on the interwebs. I'll post a link to it. You ever wanted to see Bill Macy's ding dong? No, that's okay. <laughs> Do you know who his best friend was that he grew up with, who also was an actor? Who? Jack Albertson. Really? Mm -hmm. They're very Look, similar types. Also from Revere. Uh, and is in an amazing horror movie called Dead and Buried. Jack Albertson, it's like one of his last roles, and he's so good in it. It's really? Just, he's amazing. Uh, written by Dan O'Bannon. It's uh, it's supposed to take place in Maine. A super sort of creepy, atmospheric, uh, great movie. Melody Anderson's in it. It's very good. Wow. Well, I'm glad you brought up that he was born in Revere, Mass. I did want to point that out, but I know you knew that because Ken, being a fellow Mass hole, you always know whenever actors are originally born there. How could you not know with him? Yeah, I know. Joe, but but I, here's what I liked about it. it. it, it, And I don't think they did this on purpose. They clearly did it because of the B. Arthur connection. Yeah. But Joe married a guy like her dad. Oh, yeah, it's Totally. Yeah, also from Massachusetts, Alex yes. Rocco. Yeah, yes, so true. Not quite as soft spoken. Charlie's a little bit smoother. Yeah, Bill Macy again. He has that way of just barking out his lines. He's got a mustache. He talks yeah. like it. He's yeah. He's not Dick Van Patten. Awful for some no. reason. Dick Van Patten is a no. Bill Macy is a yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and the connection to this is, of course, if we're going to try to paint Joe as being the B. Arthur esque character in this setup of course her ex-husband was Maud's ex-husband right and uh yeah Maud was 1972 to 78 ran for six years god anyway doesn't matter what happens in the rest of it we've really <laughs> hit upon all the things that were of note the plot yeah. doesn't matter and the plot is not resolved they're about There's to tear the place plot. down other than Bill Macy is a piece of shit who demands that Joe take him back and says, I can stop the yeah. demolition of the house. I'm going to only... tear your house down unless you do it with me. Yeah. Basically, yeah. essentially. Is yeah. The... I'm begging you to come back. I'll stop the destruction of the house. Yeah. Here, here's the one thing I'll say about this episode. I want to see a, a, like a Rashomon style edit or cut of this episode where we don't see 
the stuff acted out. We just see them literally sitting around talking about it because that would be the weirdest thing where they'd be like, and then Joe has this husband probably and he looks like Bill Macy. And then he comes in and he says like, cause this is what they're talking about. Yeah. No, you're right. When we come back from the flash forward, it's Beverly Ann's like, ah, oh, well. And they're like, do you really think that that would be this way? Oh, yeah. we're just daydreaming. And I thought that too. I was like, did they sit down like they were doing a fucking improv exercise? Right. And said, yes, and Joe's ex-husband works for the construction company that's gonna demolish the house. Yeah. He goes, and I come, I'm on the balcony and I have this leopard print thing on and I'm way overacting. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's this weird collective memory. And you're right. It's like, so were they just sitting around describing what we saw? How fucked? I, I'm and with you, Tootie, Ken. I want to see it. And Tootie's the only one in the, in the improv circle that isn't moving the actual story forward. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> and then he builds a construction site over the house. And she's like, I'm on the balcony dressed like Grace Jones. And I <laughs> sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> and the next person goes, Okay. And then Andy decides to let that happen. And he's now going to run for governor. (laughs) And she's like, and I'm standing at the stairs. Yeah. (laughs) The sort of button on this episode makes even less sense now. Because then Bill Macy shows up as like some other guy who's lost and he comes to their door. And then she like slams the door on him like, oh, I'm not letting this happen. But it's like, so if we're sitting around and I'm like, so you're married to a guy who looks like Bill Macy, right? And then the, some guy shows up at our house that looks like Bill Macy and you'd be like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. The, the joke is that they've all been daydreaming about this. They're like, oh, it's just talk. And then Tootie says, well, I'm probably going to tell Jeff to be sure to take his vitamins. Blair calls and checks her stock portfolio. It's that all like, that couldn't happen, or could it? And Joe is the holdout. Joe, the pragmatic one, is like, guys, what in the fuck is wrong with you? And the final thing is she opens the door, there's Bill Macy, slam. Oh, shit. That's supposed to be the ha-ha final button. But I agree with you. It's, It's that weird thing like when we met Mork on Happy Days, and then Robin Williams shows up at the end outside of the fantasy dream sequence as just a guy with a Southern accent. Hey, my car just broke down the street. Can I use your telephone? And it, it, whoa, whoa, wacky. Well, we don't know that these people can paint a, 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 an accurate verbal picture of someone to the point where you feel like you have seen them. <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah, it, it does not. It it's par for the course for the episode, really. It's yeah. no more or less wackadoodle than anything else that we have seen. And uh, yeah, I would not watch a backdoor pilot of these of of, of four old ladies. Um, and yet I know that I would I say that having watched every episode of The Golden Girls. Yeah. <laughs> well, not these old ladies. They were not compelling. They they were yeah. again, it did feel slapdash and mishmash together. It it felt like it needed a little bit more time to cook and and it, flesh out. The pilot's called broads. <laughs> broads. You're totally yeah. right. Because it's broad. There you go. You already came up with it. It's genius. Uh, All has right. Been fun. This has been amazing, Ken. I cannot believe we are lucky that we got you two weeks in a row. Jesus, thank Hard you for get. sitting through fucking Hard to book. 
three yeah. hours of this. <laughs> and you look just as attractive this week as you did last week. I will. Oh, add. Well, thank you, gentlemen. That's uh, yeah. yeah. Any who's old compliments. Um, we so appreciate it. And if you would do us the favor of sitting there uncomfortably while I talk us out of the show, I can do that. Let me get uncomfortable. Hold on. Yeah, please. Okay, do. go ahead. You, okay, you good? You good? I'm okay. yep, nice and uncomfortable. Cool. All right. Next week is going to be a special episode where I talk to costumer Diana Eden about the costumes for this episode. And then we'll be back the following week to discuss season nine, episode 12, called A Thousand Frowns. You can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I'll post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And that is it. Thank you so much, Ken Reed, for being here. Thank you for having me. I look forward to, to doing more episodes of this one. Oh, this we're season. having you back. You will be back before the show is over. I promise you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. And remember. The facts of life are all about broads. <laughs> True. There it is. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>